Hello, and welcome to episode 127 of the CogniCast, the podcast by Cognitech Inc. about software and the people who create it. This week, Stuart Sierra talks with John Chapin. But before we get started, we do have a few announcements. Tickets are still on sale for Euroclosure 2017, which is happening on July 20th and 21st in Berlin. We have a great speaker lineup with Nada Amin keynoting. Head over to euroclosure.org for more information. Also, tickets are now on sale for ClosureConj 2017, which is going to be a celebration of the 10th anniversary of the Closure Programming Language. So get yourself over to 2017.closure-conj.org to be part of the festivities. Finally, ClosureConsultants.org is a directory of closure consultants that you might want to check out if you're looking for help on your closure projects. Or you might give us a Cognitech a call, just saying. If you have a closure-related event you'd like us to mention, please drop us a line at podcast at Cognitech.com. Well, that's about it. So on to Stuart Sierra and John Chapin in episode 127 of the Cognicast. Hello, everyone. Today is Friday, June 16th, 2017, and this is the Cognicast. I'm Stuart Sierra, and I'm here today with my good friend, John Chapin. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Stuart. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Uh, We've known each other for uh, quite a while, uh, probably forever in the tech industry, but we first... (laughs) We first worked together on RoomKey, wasn't it, back in 2013 or so? Gosh, yeah, I think I think you're right. I've actually, um, I think it was a little, even a little earlier than that. Um, okay. But yeah, yeah, late 2012, early 2013. Yeah. Uh, RoomKey, that uh, hotel meta search site that had a completely closure back end, uh, yeah. sort of one of the early movers uh, in that area. And they were, uh, I think, one of the first. Certainly one of the earliest that I remember, successful closure startup stories. Uh, Colin Steele, uh, who was the CTO at the time, wrote a long blog post mm-hmm. about how they'd used closure and that enabled them to build this entirely new product with a, a tiny team. Yeah, no, that was definitely the case. And I, I remember, so I arrived at RoomKey uh, just before they went sort of live uh, for the first time under the RoomKey uh, dot com uh, domain. Okay. And, you know, there had been, obviously, there'd been a lot of work before that. And then in the couple of weeks I was there before that happened, uh, we were sort of gearing up for this, this event, right? Yeah. And so we had everybody uh, lined up in IRC and, and the switch was flipped. And, <laughs> and nothing. I mean, there was no, no hiccups, no, no issues, nothing went wrong. We sort of all kind of waited there, with, you know, holding our breath. Uh-huh. Um, and then eventually got bored and went, you know, everyone sort of trickled off and went back to bed or whatever. <laughs> went back to playing Mario Kart, as I remember there was oh, a gosh. lot of at that place. I, you know what? If anybody out there uh, would like some serious competition at Mario Kart, uh, <laughs> go to Charlottesville and they will give you a run for your money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
I actually, I just remembered uh, when we, because uh, I was there as a consultant, uh, and when we started consulting there, uh, the first day we were in the office, they insisted that we had to play a game of Mario Kart. Mm-hmm. And uh, we didn't have to beat them because that was impossible, but we had to <laughs> do at least better than the computer players. And so I think I was next to last, but I beat one of the computer players. And so they said, okay, you're, you're allowed to work here. I think it was a, uh, I think to some extent that was kind of a, uh, a way to, to, to feel out how people would, you know, react in, in stressful situations, you know, something new that they don't know, yeah. um, how they can, how they can deal with people that are, uh, that might be passionate about the, the thing that they're good at. Um, <laughs> and more successful. <laughs> uh, and, and more, and more successful. I'm, uh, you know, I'm not sure I would go back to that necessarily as like a, as like a, uh, you know, hiring gate or something. Yeah. Um, but it was certainly an interesting attribute of, of room key. And it's certainly something that, uh, that really fostered a sense of camaraderie, uh, both for the employees there and then for people like yourself and, uh, and Craig and Dara, uh, who yep, was also was there. there. Um, I've got a great Craig Andera story if oh, you uh, if you want to hear it. So so uh, as you know, our former uh, so host, our former yeah, the former host of the Cognacast. Um, so I was at RoomKey for about a year, mm-hmm. and then I, I I continued working for RoomKey, but but started working remotely. So my that's uh, right. You went off to South America or someplace. You went far away. We yeah, so my girlfriend and I actually actually made it completely around the world. We did thirteen countries in wow. twelve months, uh, and I continued working full time for RoomKey. And uh, you found Wi-Fi in all thirteen countries. The amazing part was in most places uh, the sort of Wi-Fi and you know mobile uh-huh. uh, mobile phone situation was drastically better <laughs> than in than in Charlottesville. Yeah, um, I'm, which was, I'm not surprised. <laughs> which, which was really surprising. Um, yeah. But uh, but so Craig Andera and I once paired remotely. He was yeah. in wherever he was living at the time. Um, Probably Virginia. I think he's been there quite a while. And I was on a on a small bus <laughs> in in Panama, <laughs> and we were shipping. We were we were doing a production deploy, uh, pairing over over uh, over uh, IRC, and then a shared like a T bucks SSH uh, wow. session. Um, so I feel like Craig and I have been through some. We've really been yeah. through some stuff, <laughs> and it all and it all worked. So like, you, and it all worked. You, you yeah, got it all sure. done. That's amazing. Yeah. I don't know if I'd have the nerve to do a production deploy from a bus in Panama, but well, uh, you know, we trusted the architecture and trusted the decisions we were making, and uh, and I think had a good sense of what the what the fallback uh, strategy was. Yeah, um, and certainly had some had some good people on the ops side that we could uh, we could go to. Uh, uh, Vince Rivellino mm-hmm. uh, was one that comes to mind. Another another great person who worked at RoomKey. Yeah, yeah, they had a lot of good people. Mm-hmm. Still do, I assume. Well, cool. Uh, so, I mean, what was that like? Just traveling? You were working remotely the whole time as you were traveling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, I don't know that I would do it that way again. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of, uh, you know, so you're traveling and you want to see new things and experience you know, all that a new place has to offer. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I was always sort of scrambling to find, you know, six to 10 hours of Wi-Fi a day and, and yeah. overlap with my colleagues back in, you know, U.S. East Coast right. time. So, you know, being in Central and South America, that wasn't as big a deal. We were only offset sure, by, sure. you know, a few hours each direction. Uh, working from Singapore, <laughs> uh, 
uh, you know, that was very, that was much, much different. Right. So, um, but it was, it was super interesting. And I, I mean, if somebody had, if you have the opportunity to do this and you're interested in traveling, I couldn't recommend it more. Try it. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll teach you a lot about sort of how, you know, how to work and how to motivate yourself. Um, and it'll sort of, I mean, it sort of opened my eyes to the fact that for a lot of what we do, um, we can solve the communications challenges, you know, in mm-hmm. software engineering. We don't actually need to be sitting, uh, you know, shoulder to shoulder in an open plan. Right. Uh, office uh with our head you know we're going to just have our headphones on anyway right yeah, so yeah so so that was i think that was a very positive experience we eventually to be totally honest though we eventually just sort of got uh got worn down a little bit by the traveling and we were also doing something kind of interesting we were house sitting as we traveled oh, and so okay. so something like 80 or 85 percent of the nights that we spent on the road were basically free to us uh huh. in exchange we were we were uh, taking care of you know people's pets and and yeah. you know plants and stuff like that. Um, right, right. Were these and, people uh, you knew, or friends, or or was there some intermediary that set this, this all up? This was all facilitated by a website called TrustedHouseSitters.com, dot com, huh. which I think is still around. Actually, they actually they contacted us a couple of years ago about doing an interview here in New York, and we weren't able to make it happen. Okay. But you basically you get on there and it matches you up, and and that was an English language website, so we were often in touch with. Uh, sort of, uh, you know, either either American or Canadian or, or you know, sort of Australians or, or mm-hmm. you know, Britons or whatever um, in in these various locales. Yeah. And so that would sort of match you up, and you would you would uh, you know you'd go and house it for somebody, and they would review and rate you, um, and that would sort of feed into a, a you know the next person trusting you a little bit more, et cetera, et cetera. And that we we basically rolled on with that for for a year. Cool. Um, our very first house sitting gig in uh, in Santiago, Chile. The it was two dogs that we were watching, uh-huh. and the the house next door to us burned to the ground. Oh my gosh! While we were there, and so as a you know as a remote engineer, uh, my first thought, of course, was okay. I'll grab my laptop and my passport. Yeah. <laughs> uh, bundle these two dogs up. Um, <laughs> And then start looking around for anything else important in the house that looked like, you know, we needed yeah. to save. So that was an exciting experience, but won us a, a raving review because the house that we were in did not catch fire. We were able to sort of facilitate the, the, the firefighters yeah, and, and, yeah. And, and do a few things to kind of keep everything under control. And so that got us great reviews and, and suddenly yeah. we started to actually just get requests to come, you know. <laughs> Please come and not burn down my house for a week. Yeah, uh, the weir- the weirdest request we got, I think, was uh, we got a, we got a few kind of strange ones, but one was like, "Come spend the winter at some remote uh, estate in Norway." Wow! And they're like, "Oh, it's perfect if you're a writer or if you want to reenact yeah. The Shining." Or <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think they said that. I think we sort of assumed that. Uh, yes. But yeah. Anyway, though. Those were uh, those were good times. We eventually got tired of the traveling and decided to settle in New York. Though we wanted someplace sort of interesting and multicultural, uh, you know, that had a lot of had not only not only a lot of uh, sort of uh, you know job and, and career opportunities, mm-hmm. but that just sort of felt a little bigger than than small town Virginia. Right, right. And if you're in New York, you you don't need to travel because everything is right here, right? You think that, and, and, you, and then you sort of you're here for a few years, and you you suddenly decide that you're a bit of a even a local travel snob, and so people are like, 
you know, if you have a friend that lives a little too far away from a subway stop, you're like, yeah, you know what? Oh, yeah, nah, that's terrible. Nah, forget it. <laughs> yeah. Trying to get my friends to come to Brooklyn if they live in Manhattan is, is quite a chore. Yep. Yep. And it's only, you know, you just hop on the train, but it's, uh, it's got its own sort of weight to it. Yep. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, just being able to live and travel wherever you feel like and still have uh, an interesting job to to keep you occupied. Yeah, no, it definitely was. Um, I had I actually, as I'm remembering back, I actually had the opportunity to take, uh, you know, to, to, to spread some closure uh, love while I was traveling as well. I recall speaking at, I think it was the Amsterdam closure meetup. Oh, cool. Yeah, local meetup groups, of course. And I think that was the only sort of formal thing that I did but I was always, you know, always sort of seeing people in coffee shops and, and mm-hmm. you know, chatting a little bit. Um, and then, you know, like uh, Chiang Mai, Thailand, for example, is just a hub for for sort of expat, you know, software engineers and startups and things mm-hmm. like that. And so we were always meeting people there. Uh, Ubud in uh, in Bali was another another very popular place. We actually joined a co-working space there. I, I attended their Halloween party uh, wearing a uh, drapes and a, uh, a USB cable. <laughs> okay. Um, what, what, what were you? It was, it was a sort of a riff on like a, like a kind of a Greek or Roman outfit. So the, uh, you know, the drapes is kind of the toga. Oh, and like then, a toga. I see. Okay. And then yes. the USB cable sort of threaded carefully is kind of the, the wreath around my, uh, uh, around my, my you know, temples. A laurel wreath um, made out of a USB cable. <laughs> yeah boy sorry you'll, you'll just uh we can use this whole podcast and i can just reminisce about uh <laughs> about uh about traveling and working oh that'd be but, perfectly uh, fine um <laughs> uh but no so so we'll we'll talk about other things so you you came back to new york and then uh was that when you went to intent media yeah no that's exactly right i uh, i interviewed a few places in new york um and and sort of settled on intent media the the draw there was in part uh you know they were also involved in the travel you know sort of with the travel industry mm-hmm. um so that was that was familiar and then they just had a really they, they had a really sort of extraordinary culture as well uh, the, the owners were very um very human and, and very kind of uh kind it's of a driven quality to... in a business owner you like having humans well and it, it sort of <laughs> it, it implies uh you know a lot of empathy and a yes, lot of, yes. uh, you know, kind of careful consideration of how their decisions are affecting people's, you know, their employees' lives, not just the bottom line. Yeah. And that, that makes um, a huge difference. Yeah. And so I really, um, you know, that, that was a great place to be. The, uh, the sort of, uh, the pace there was, was pretty stunning when I got there, you know, they were, mm-hmm. they were moving pretty fast. And then, uh, that's actually where I met my, uh, my current co-founder, uh, Mike Roberts, so he was actually he was working on the data engineering team as as just a like a two day a week kind of contractor. Okay. And so our very first our our very first interaction was actually trying to to hack some to to hack up Linogen to <laughs> to compile this kind of mangled closure project <laughs> that had been built up over time at Intent Media. It was a uh, I think it was a Cascalog. Uh, oh, thing. yeah, I remember Cascalog. But it was, you know, it was like source files in, in, in a bunch of different places. And the dependency management uh, story and intent at that time was, um, 
a little more old school in that you know yeah. we we had uh, you know jar files checked into uh, you know a source uh, control repository. Right, right, that's how everything used to be. Yeah, and that's you know that is that I don't know that there's anything. Uh, I don't know that 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 if they'd done that again, you know, and had gone back in time, you know, eight or nine years, they there would have been a better option. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but Linogen wasn't happy with that, and so that's actually that was the very first time that Mike and I worked together. Um, and, <laughs> and despite recall, that, you ended up friends. Yeah, I think it was the shared suffering. Yeah, yeah, um, that'll do it. And as, as I recall, we didn't actually fix it. Uh, we just sort of got <laughs> to this point where we threw our hands up in the air and thought, okay, forget this. Um, ah, back to Ant. Yeah, back back to uh, back to Ant. I think I actually I actually did the the thing in. Um, no, you're right. It was it was actually Ant. I, I know that was just a guess <laughs> on your part, but I actually did end up writing an Ant task to compile closure because that was the sort of the, the way to get it all uh, all working together. So Intent Media at that time was a you know classic uh, sort of mono repo uh-huh. uh, deploying a few different applications out of a out of one single uh, large source repository. Yeah. Uh, again, that's a great way to keep things kind of uh, you know in lockstep. Yeah. And it's a great way to move fast, especially as a smaller team. But then you start, you know, as you grow, uh, you know, as the team grows, as the as the scope of what you're doing grows, it, you know, you suddenly find yourself in the situation where, okay, you know, I'm trying to deploy a feature uh, in this one application, and I'm blocked because there's a failing, you know, front end unit test yeah. and a completely, you know, unrelated bit of the application, right, right, and and that means that. The build, the single build, is red, and yeah. so I can't, I can't move forward. Um, and so a lot of the, a lot of the, the sort of interesting early work that that you know both Mike and I were a part of, um, and then several, you know many other people uh, at Intent Media um, were a part of was was kind of figuring out how to take this this um, you know mono repo sort of forklift deployed set of applications and start teasing them apart to let different teams sort of own, you know, the pieces that were important to them and start to iterate and move fast um, without being being blocked or becoming blockers for, right. you know, for, for other teams. I, I, um, I smell a whiff of microservices on the air. You know, it's interesting because <laughs> as soon as I, whenever I start this kind of description, you know, people, you know, it's like, oh, you know, so there's this Cambrian explosion of microservices. Yeah. Right. And I actually think we did a pretty good job at intent of not, not sort of uh, going off the rails in that regard. That's a little bit of a pun because we did have a Rails app too. I was um, just about to say that, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, we actually, I, th- I think we did a pretty good job. We, we sort of identified the the, the, the pivotal uh, kind of you know component extracted that as just actually just a, just a library mm-hmm. which which still lives to this day and and really I think you know, I think did a pretty good job of sort of teasing out large components you know that, that depended on that in a few cases you know I can take some credit for for you know building a few too many uh, small single-purpose microservices and that was the, you know that's kind of the classic the classic pattern right you know you start yeah. to break things up and then you then you see oh wait a second I actually I over engineered this or I was designing yeah. for a problem I thought I was going to have but didn't actually have I right you know we always want to kind of uh, be cautious and wait you know 
spot the commonalities and design right. towards the problems you actually have rather than, you know, sort of having this thought exercise and, and, you know, envisioning and then implementing this ideal architecture that's never actually been exposed to, you know, to any kind of, uh, you know, real production, uh, you know, requests or, or workloads or, or features yeah. or whatever. So, and that's a learning process, I think, yeah. for everyone. Uh, you, you can't get that from reading blog posts about microservices. You have to develop that intuition by experience. It is, and you don't, you definitely, um, it's challenging for us as, as engineers to, it's, I mean, it's just sort of challenging in life to accept that knowledge from somebody without gaining it yourself. Yeah. Right, yeah. so we could read the sort of lessons learned and and the, the war stories from the people that have gone before us, um, but it's so hard for us to, to sort of, uh, you know, figure out the right lesson to draw from that and then avoid the problem. Right, you have to make you know, your own mistakes. We have to make our own mistakes, and I, I think where, where it helps seeing those those kind of war stories out there or those, those you know, sort of post-mortem mm-hmm. is is in helping you see your mistake more quickly yeah, yeah, and sort of say, okay, well, I made this mistake once and now I can immediately see how there's two or three other examples of this out there so I can redirect now rather than having to repeat my mistake yes. several more times. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, that's my opinion. I think a lot of people have done it differently. So uh, as you know, we like to ask a question of all of our guests when they come on the show. And that is to describe an experience of art that you found meaningful. Could be anything at all. Okay. So I've, I've thought about this a little bit. And uh, one that comes to mind recently, I've actually got two, but the, 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 the first we'll that, that sort of comes to mind recently. So I, 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 was, a, I was a music minor in, in college and, and you know, played, uh, played trombone for a long time and, and was really into jazz. And and so I recently came across this uh, this jazz trombonist named Willie Wilson. Okay. And so he was he was active um, in the you know late fifties, early sixties. And the the interesting thing about about Willie Wilson is he he only appears on one recording. Okay. Which, which was which was Duke Pearson's uh, dedication from uh-huh. I think nineteen sixty one. Um, and, but he appears, he's, he's in, you know, four or five tracks on that, on that record and beautiful, beautiful trombone solos, especially, uh, the nearness of you, which is an old sort of jazz oh, yeah. standard. Um, it's just, it's absolutely gorgeous. And I, 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 I'm so moved every time I hear it. And, but the, and the, the tragic side of that story though, was, was not long after that album was recorded, Willie Wilson died. Oh, Okay. And so he would, you know, it's one of these sort of, uh, I don't know, it's an example of, of something beautiful yet fleeting, mm-hmm. but it's just so clear that he poured, he poured himself into that. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's incredible to listen to. So that's definitely, uh, been something I found very meaningful Cool. And on a, on a completely different note. Okay. Um, we were sort of asking ourselves the question, Mike and I, like, what, what is art? Yeah. Uh, okay. we were, we were in a video production studio, uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, shooting some instructional videos. Okay, uh, and of course you started thinking about what is art because why wouldn't you? Well, we're we're in there, and I, <laughs> I, I looked at Mike and said, "Okay, is this art? You know, is what, ah, what yeah. we're doing art?" Um, and 
it, we weren't quite sure what the answer was. <laughs> what the answer was. Uh, I oh, think I was, was I was hoping you'd figured it all out for us. Come on. <laughs> no, but it got me thinking about other other things that don't immediately come to mind as art, and and one of those was video games. Oh yeah. Right. So video games are are of course a you know uh, of course they're art, right? Yeah. Uh, I hadn't really thought about it in detail before, but but what I particularly enjoyed recently, actually not recently. It actually goes back to to, to my my room key days. Okay, uh, was was Kerbal Space Program. I am aware of this. I haven't played it, but I've seen it. I I highly recommend uh, playing that. There is there is nothing more beautiful than a than a low res sunrise from a from a virtual spacecraft that you've guided into orbit yourself. Yes, yeah, uh, that that would be an achievement. So that's another so that's a sort of uh, experience of art and science and technology. Um, that I found really, really interesting. Cool. Well, I think you uh, mentioned it already. So you are a co-founder with Mike Roberts uh, of a new venture. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah. So, uh, so Mike Roberts and I, um, I guess this would be sort of late last year. Um, we're sort of talking about. Uh, some of the technology that we've been not only using at Intent Media, but but um, that we had sort of seen out uh, in industry. It's this this growing area of serverless technology, right? So things like, um, on one hand, things like you know AWS Lambda, mm -hmm. uh, you know Microsoft uh, Azure Functions, Auth0 mm -hmm. um, Web Tasks. You know, there's there's a, a ton of uh, those sort of functions as a service. Right. Uh, uh, Platforms out there, and then on the other hand, things like um, excuse me, things like um, uh, Google Firebase, um, yeah. and then a bunch of the other sort of classic services from from places like Amazon, you know, S three Dynamo. Yeah, people putting people using those to basically you know to construct systems or applications uh, where they can offload a lot of the kind of gritty you know infrastructure responsibilities to to a, a platform to a vendor right right um and you know the appeal there is as engineers you know we're mostly working for companies where we're, we're using technology to to produce business value but the business value is not inherent in the technology sure right and so us us you know running our own kafka cluster for example <laughs> is not inherently you know, business value, it's, right. it's enabling some other thing. Yeah. Right. And so at Intent Media, we definitely, we found, you know, in our sort of legacy applications, there was a pretty high, um, high operational burden from some of the infrastructure, you know, choices that, that, that we had been, we had made. Um, and that's not to say that those choices were bad. Um, those choices were made, you know, with the best information that, that the people making them had at the time that, that you know that the choice was made, and, and, and that certainly got the technology that was available at the time. I assume. Oh yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. With the tech that was available, and it certainly it got Intent Media to you know to the point later on of being you know fairly successful and, and being able to make you know different choices. Mm -hmm. But you know, we sort of it was it was for what we were doing. We were spending a lot of time fighting fires, um, you know, trying not to sort of shoot ourselves in the foot with long-lived infrastructure, mm -hmm. um, having to really dive into the details of systems that were, you know, when you sort of step back from it, fairly, you know, fairly orthogonal to what we should have been, you know, paying attention to. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And so we tried, we, we, we basically took on this, this redesign of a, of a major component and decided to, to try using some of this new serverless technology. Okay. And so Amazon had just released uh, Java support for their Lambda platform. Uh, okay. And so Intent Media is mostly a Java shop. Uh, yeah. We did a lot of Java, a lot of Clojure, uh, a lot of Scala uh, mm-hmm. as well. And so that was kind of a, you know, once, once support for, for Java came out with Lambda, we were like, okay, let's, um, you know, we, we, we haven't made, you know, all the decisions yet for how we're going to, to try to rebuild the system. So let's try it. Let's do a little POC. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we actually, our, our very first POC for this was Clojure, Clojure on Lambda. Oh, wow. Uh, and then using Kinesis. Wow. Okay. So, so you got all the cool new stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and to be, to be perfectly frank, we loved it. Um, Great. we had, uh, what I now see in retrospect, uh, we had a really ideal set of, of requirements and circumstances that, that allowed that, you know, that kind of architecture to perform really well. Yeah. And so we did that and then we sort of rolled into doing a, a you know, larger scale, you know, project again, uh, Lambda, Java eight, like a lot of Kinesis, a lot of, you know, S three, uh-huh. um, stuff like that. And, basically ended up with this system that was, you know, for our intents and purposes was, was essentially infinitely scalable. Nice. Um, you know, we all know that, that, you know, of course there's a limit there somewhere, but right. Right. But you know, you're not going to hit that limit wherever it is. We are not, we are not going to hit that limit. Um, and had very, very little sort of real time operational overhead for us, the, the engineers, you know, of course there's still, you know, we've got we we've seen now at a couple of uh, serverless conferences where you know Charity Majors does this great talk on you know that, that serverless does not mean no ops. Right. Like, yes. Operations doesn't go away. Operations is different, yeah. and in some ways, it's it's no less complicated than if you built some distributed system using a different set of technologies. You know, but but fundamentally, you know, we're not worrying about okay, what you know, what AMI version am I using? Right. Um, you know. How do I how do I manage my my Linux level you know system users or MySQL right. access or yeah. you know all of these other sort of you know low level concerns? It, instead, it was just okay. Given these capabilities for you know for uh, reads and writes for this this system, uh, you know where do I plug my business logic in? How do I manage the the sort of business level logic and business level concerns? Um, Seems like it it moves. It shifts some of the maintenance and and operational burden closer to the business problem. Yeah, no, absolutely, sense. and it, it sort of it sort of increases the amount of time and the amount of focus you can give to those business yeah. problems or, or to things that are close to that business logic, and you're sort of outsourcing a lot of the rest of it to a vendor. Right. Now the corollary there is you have to trust your vendor. Of course, um, that's a point. You know, Mike uh, gives a gives sort of a serverless architecture and what is serverless kind of uh, overview presentation, and that's a that's a point that uh, we try not to gloss over. Yeah, like by, you know, by going down this route, you are certainly putting a lot in the hands of a vendor like Amazon or you know Google or Microsoft. Yeah, but our you know our sort of argument and and our uh, um, you know pitch to people is that. By doing so, you can move faster and, you know, iterate more quickly, uh, you know, uh, deliver features that, that actually are producing value more quickly rather than getting bogged down yeah. in sort of, uh, you know, uh, you know, on the infrastructure and, and uh, you know, that kind of thing. And that's what makes sense for 99% of companies out there. Right. I always think people tend to 
vastly overestimate their own operational capacity mm-hmm. in the sense that people think, oh, well, what happens if Amazon or Google or Azure or whoever goes down? Yep. Well, there's nothing you can do about it. But on the other hand, yes, they will go down, but probably less frequently than you would by yourself. Yeah, yeah, almost certainly less frequently than you're going to you exactly. know, by yourself. And you have to carefully consider like what is it you're you know, what is it you're actually working on? You know, are you yeah. you know, are you designing you know, are, are you are you building uh, you know, medical device software? Yeah. That you know and, and if that if, if there's a problem with that, somebody's life is in danger. Okay. Maybe don't put that in the cloud. <laughs> right. You know, don't outsource those things to a vendor. Um, but if you're, you know, like in the case of Intent Media, we were an ad tech company. We were serving yeah. ads. Um, if Amazon goes down. So does the rest of the internet. So, so ads does don't the matter. rest of the internet. And it, it's sort of a, you know, once you have those concerns in mind, you can kind of make that risk assessment and say, yeah. okay, well, this is actually, I'm, I'm okay with, with this risk, especially given that I'm not going to be spending, you know, thousands of, of, of dollars and, and all this, you know, uh, yeah. you know, time for my, for my very expensive, uh, you know, engineering staff that they could be you know, better be spent, uh, could, could better be spent actually trying to figure out what our customers, uh, you know, need and, and deliver those things. Yeah. But so that's, that's sort of fundamentally sort of the, what Mike and I have started this company called Symphonia. Yeah. So this, everything you just described, this yeah. was at, while you were both at Intent, right? This was at Intent. And this was sort of the series of, of kind of thoughts and discussions that, that led us to uh, uh, to decide eventually to, to start our own uh, sort of boutique consultancy Got it. Um, around serverless architecture, uh, cloud strategy, with a very heavy dose of, of what I like to call sort of small A agile and, and a DevOps uh, sort of mindset. Cool. And so we we just started in uh, in January, um, and we're basically out there to sort of be kind of a trusted advisor as as as, as uh, you know as companies see you know things like Lambda, mm-hmm. uh, you know see see you know this term serverless thrown around and wonder okay what well, you know is that for us is that something we should be considering yeah how would we make the best use of it what does it enable um, do we have the right use cases you know for it and yeah, so we've, so we've been doing that. Um, we've been doing a ton of uh, conference speaking. I've seen, uh, I spoke yes, at Closure, you've been all over. At, uh, yeah, yeah. So I was at Closure West back in uh, uh, whenever that was. Uh, we was uh, in track this year? time, March. Yeah. Yeah, this, yeah. We just actually just released a, uh, a short uh, report with O'Reilly titled I What is Circles? That. That's, a, uh, that's a, free, uh, a free PDF download, so hopefully we can make that available in the show notes. Yes, we will and definitely we, uh, link to those things. Excellent. And then so we've also been speaking at, uh, we've spoken at this uh, O'Reilly Software Architecture Conference in New York. Uh, we were at OSCON uh, mm-hmm. about a month ago. We did a half-day uh, workshop down there, basically building uh, building and deploying a, a serverless application on AWS. Oh, cool. Uh, a cool side note about that was we actually, um, we basically had a hundred and, I don't know, 130 or 40 people in this room. Yeah. And our very first step there was to have each of them set up their own individual continuous delivery pipeline. Oh, cool. So throughout the course of this workshop, we had them all, uh, instead of instead of building and, and testing 
completely locally uh-huh. and then uploading their sort of final artifacts to, to Amazon. Yeah. We actually just had them uploading the source code, uh, and which would then run through that sort of build and test and deploy phase using you know code pipeline and code build and cloud formation. Cool, cool. Um, and so that was kind of a, I thought that was a, a really interesting spin on on the, the sort of workshop uh, you know concept because it was not only a workshop about how to do this specific serverless thing it was also a, a workshop about um, you know here's a here's a great framework for delivering yeah yeah uh, you know delivering features in an automated you know sort of uh, repeatable you know quick fashion yeah that's um, awesome and we, we did that actually uh, not because that's you know we, we didn't actually set out saying okay we want to we want to teach DevOps and serverless application development we actually yeah. did it because we thought that the conference Wi-Fi was going to be terrible <laughs> and because we're we're building Java artifacts and so as closure programmers we know you know you, you throw a few dependencies in your Linux right. file or in your in your palm.xml and, and you, you suddenly end up with like a, <laughs> you end up with a thirty meg you know, if you build an Uber jar for all those things, you end up with like a 30 meg artifact, right? Okay. And so we thought, okay, 140 people all trying to upload a, you know, several megabyte artifact at exactly the same time yep. is going to, you know, bring an end to internet service at OSCON. Been there. And so there. how, <laughs> so, so, so our, our, you know, we finally came up with this, you know, okay, how do we, how do we get around this? Oh, uh, you know, continuous deployment can save us here. That's really cool. So people weren't actually even running the code on their local development uh, laptops, were they? Or they, they were doing everything in, in the cloud. Yeah, so they were. They were actually still. We were still running the code and testing oh, okay. locally. So we were doing like uh, like unit tests and things like that okay. locally. Um, but it was at that okay. Now we want to actually um, you know deploy this thing to the cloud um, rather than. Go through most of those steps locally, and then just send the, the sort of final packaged artifact. I it was see. send it again. So it was just it was it was sort of analogous to how you work on an application, um, you know, just in your normal sort of day to day. Right, that's, right. You know, you would you would develop locally. You'd be running your unit tests. You'd be you know making changes and iterating quickly locally. Right. Um, and then you would push that off to a you know to a you know source control system a github or whatever that would pick it up and run it through a cd process right right yeah that's cool and that actually brings up uh, a question that i wanted to uh, ask you about and i think your book covers this uh a little bit uh and that is the sort of in in general what is the approach that people take toward local development and testing when you're making heavy use of these uh, public cloud uh, services, uh, where things where sometimes you don't have a, a local mm-hmm. analog of of whatever the service is, like you can't run Lambda on your own laptop. At least I don't think you can. Yeah, so so I'll give you I'll give you a couple of different sort of perspectives on that, but it's it's that's always the first question we get whenever okay. we're speaking to a new client or speaking, you know, to meet up or, or something. Um, that's 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 always the first or one of the first questions. And so the the bottom line is that that our sort of take on this is that um, things like Lambda, things like uh, you know Azure Functions, um, and you know many of the other players out there, mm-hmm. the actual sort of, you know, boilerplate that you need to construct, you know, one of these, 
you know, construct the code for one of these functions yeah. is, is either non-existent or, or extremely minimal. Okay. And so it actually makes these things quite simple to unit test okay. or to test locally in a way that doesn't necessarily require you to deploy to a full-fledged platform. Now, of course, you're, you know, you're, you're sort of missing the behavior, you know, behavior around scaling. And if, if right, your right. function is side affecting to other cloud services, you know, you have to sort of handle that. Uh, but you, you don't necessarily need to handle that in a way you, that would be different from if you were writing, you know, sort of unit or integration tests in any other application that was calling out to some third-party service that you don't own. Right, like a database right. or, or another app running somewhere else. Yeah, so you would you would you you know you would have strategies in how you've developed that 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 code right. to let you isolate those dependencies and and you know so so we actually feel like the local sort of unit testing strategies is and an opportunity is quite strong uh, and that's something that we go through at these workshops as well. We sort of show people, okay, like you're, you you just wrote a lambda, you didn't actually have to implement any Amazon interfaces or mm-hmm. make any API calls out to an Amazon service or whatever. Your code is just is is super simple, um, and you can test it locally. Okay. Here's how you can construct the input and validate the output. Um, so so that's that's sort of part one. Yeah. And and part two, and this is a little bit more of an opinion, um, but it's an opinion that both Mike and I share. There there are lots of uh, there are lots of sort of services or frameworks out there that purport that purport to let you test you know, multi-component uh, cloud-based applications locally. Right, by providing I've seen these an- serverless analogs. frameworks of various kinds. Yeah, and, and 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 many of those are great, and the people that are that are building them um, are definitely, you know, definitely doing great work. Mm-hmm. I think I think the fundamental issue there is that the these services out there, like so, you know, Amazon's suite of serverless offerings. Mm-hmm. There's there is literally a new feature or new um, service released, you know, weekly if not more often. Right. Yeah, they do a lot. And and they themselves are not providing these tools. Right. Um, and so you're always going to be sort of chasing. Sure. You know the 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 current state of, of affairs. Uh, if you're relying on some other third party thing to give you this sort of local testing analog, right, right. Um, and and even then, most of these analogs, you know, again, they're not doing this. You know, they're not sort of performing the same kind of scaling behavior. They don't necessarily have the same kind of, uh, you know, error handling or retry strategies or whatever. Yeah. Um, they're not necessarily emulating, uh, you know. Network kickoffs. You know, we know. You know, as right. soon as we uh, as soon as we build a, a distributed system, uh, you know, failure is a statistical inevitability. Right. Of right? course. Um, and so our answer to that really is that is that you should simply, it, you know, it's 2017. Uh, <laughs> if we want, if you want to run uh, sort of complete application tests, you know, into end tests or, or smoke mm-hmm. tests or whatever of of a of a serverless application, do it in the cloud. Yeah. Okay. And. And there are strategies to let you do that. Um, you know, something we favor right now is 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 creating a, a separate AWS account ah, to contain those test resources, and that's something that AWS are actually steadily making easier to manage. Yeah. So this idea that you can actually spin up an account and a bunch of resources, do your you know run whatever your automated test is, and then tear all that stuff down. Right, and be and know that there's no contamination between that and your 
live production environment. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, there's certainly they provide some capability there also for doing, you know, cross account, uh, you know, resource access. So, okay, you have your sort of source of truth data on S3 that you want to use in your test, you can still access that. So, so that's our, that's sort of our bottom line answer is that there's a lot of opportunity for testing individual, you know, know, for example, lambdas locally in Mm -hmm. kind of a unit test fashion. And if you're doing the sort of more integration test or or sort of end to end test of an application with lots of components, you really should just be doing it in the cloud. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, You'll just have to, Pony up the fifteen bucks or whatever for the in-flight Wi-Fi and uh, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, work with it that way. One a related question though, I think mm-hmm. when I think of development and testing, uh, I'm doing mostly closure, of course. So mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time with a REPL and I mm-hmm. interact with my application as I'm developing it. So I define temporary. Uh, test data, or I insert little shims to capture data and report it so that I can examine it in the REPL. Um, Mm. Is it possible to do that kind of uh, deep introspection of your running program uh, when you're using one of these environments? It is not a a sort of common feature of these environments. uh, Azure functions from Microsoft have some capability to do kind of runtime. It's really runtime debugging okay. um, of 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 a live, you know, sort of deployed uh, serverless function. Yeah. Um, but that you know that capability doesn't exist uh, in Lambda. Um, maybe we'll see. Maybe we'll get something like that. Uh, certainly. Uh, and it is, I, you know, we're a little bit spoiled as closure programmers, yes. right? Because we've gotten, gotten used to working in this way. And it's so rare to find that even in just other programming environments. It's true. Yeah. Uh, not, uh, you know, not even, you know, when you start to talk about, about sort of cloud deployments. Um, so the, 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 the short answer is there's not a lot of that out there right now. Um, I definitely hope to see more of it. And, I mean, the point here is not specifically you know, okay, well, we just need a REPL for things. It's it's that we are used to working and iterating really, really fast. Right, yeah. And, and that's really the and, thrust of the question there. Yeah, and and sort of the, you know, that that's that's how these services are being, you know, that's one way of, you know, how these services are being sold. So anything that moves, you know, moves you further along that path of being able to iterate quickly, right. um, I think is going to, you know, will at least get some consideration from the vendors. Okay, yeah. Um, but but right now, so it's definitely a situation. I think you could, you know, depending on your application, you could mm-hmm. architect your deploy process in such a way as to be pretty, uh, you know, pretty straightforward and pretty quick. So, like right. for example, now, um, you know, if you're working in a, uh, you know, a language that doesn't require like a compilation step, for example, yeah, your iteration time on on a on a lambda that you're actually deploying to to the the platform you know, would still would be on the order of a few seconds. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, so you, you're sort of stepping along that direction, but you're nowhere near uh, the sort of instant REPL feedback. Right. Right. So maybe, I, I mean, I'm imagining if I were developing an application this way, and I've done a tiny bit with these services, but I haven't tried to build a whole system with them, is mm-hmm. that you would adopt a style where you 
maybe I don't know, but I'm I'm guessing you might adopt a style where you embed more of that observability into the system as you're developing it. Yeah, the, and that's a uh, that's actually a great point, and uh, an attribute of these systems is that that's sort of a lot more standardized and a lot more straightforward to do mm-hmm. than you know, then we're sort of piecing together a bunch of, you know, little things on our own. Yeah. You know, if you, if you're building one of these distributed systems on, again, I'll come back to Amazon. That's the one that we're most familiar with. Right. You actually do end up with, you have all of these components, but they all have, you know, some default set of metrics associated with them. They're all sort of API, API accessible. So you can introspect them through, you know, fairly standard AWS APIs. You know, you get the sort of same, you know, same flavor of access control and security, uh, you know, using IAM for most of these things. Um, and so a lot of that is a little bit closer at hand. Um, you know, so if you want to build that observability into, into the system, it's, you know, it's a little closer than, than, than it might be otherwise. Right. Yeah. And, and you've got all that stuff kind of there already for the services you're using. And so it's a, mm-hmm. a low barrier to entry to add that for your own code. Mm-hmm. And, and Amazon, for sure. And, and so actually, and, and all of the vendors uh, at the last serverless conference demonstrated features around observability in, in these sort of, you know, mini component serverless style applications. Oh, cool. That's nice. Yeah. Um, and and Amazon's uh, was is called X-Ray. So yeah, I've heard a bit about that. Uh, I don't know a whole yeah. lot about it. Yeah, so it's essentially you know request sampling and tracing. Okay. And so you know when you when a request enters your system, it gets a uh, you know it it either gets sampled or it doesn't, and if it gets sampled, then it gets traced throughout the, you know throughout the system, and then they're tracking things like um, you know like the sort of latency uh, yeah. for each component and the error rates. And then you can actually drill into, you know, a specific request and find the logs for that request, et cetera. That's cool. Um, yeah. So it's really, yeah, and I, I expect that will only continue to get uh, to sort of improve over time. It's pretty, um, it's pretty new, new right now, um, but a super interesting direction that they're moving in there. Yeah, and I can remember having some way of doing that. Uh, I even working on distributed systems, not in a cloud environment, but just distributed systems deployed anywhere, you've got to have the ability to trace activity mm-hmm. across machines and across services, or you'll never have any hope of debugging anything. Yeah, and the the other interesting use for this too is is just in mapping your system in general. Right, yeah. You know, because it's not like you're necessarily laying these things out, you know, the sort of promise of old was that we would all just, we would grab icons and lay them out and draw arrows between yes. them. And that would be our application topology. And um, How long have and, we been you know, promised boxes and arrows would be the future of programming? That's I, I mean, since I was, yeah, since I was a, a CS undergrad in the late 90s. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was Alan Turing's second paper after he invented mm-hmm. Turing machines. He said, okay, after yeah. this, it's going to be all boxes and arrows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so now, you know, it turns out actually what we have to do is just, you know, send some, tr- you know, trickle some smoke into the into the system and see where it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> We've uh, there's an analogy there somewhere. I'm not sure where. But... <laughs> uh, we've been reduced to sending smoke signals. I think is is what we're saying. 
Yes, yes, but it's scalable. It's very scalable. Scalable smoke <laughs> signals, absolutely, no, no doubt. Well, it is the cloud after all, so smoke, cloud, you know, it all, it all fits. <laughs> well, this is, uh, this is all great. So, uh, I mean, it sounds like you, you are setting up uh, yourselves to be uh, the evangelists for not one specific technology, but a paradigm, a whole collection of mm -hmm. related technologies. Uh, what, what's your goal? What are you hoping to uh, get to with that? So that's a, a, that's another great question. And that's one of those, like, you know, whenever you ask a sort of early stage company what their goal is, you know, and then you come back and <laughs> come back and ask them again six months later. Right. Uh, and if they're still around, it may be completely different. But, sure. uh, but sort of our, our goal right now is to basically, um, like I said, sort of help, help our clients understand, you know, serverless technology in general, and, and more importantly, how to deliver, you know, value quickly. Yeah. and effectively and so you know mike gives this talk on continuous experimentation ah. and i think that came up in your last episode um you know with the work that was being done at etsy for example yes. um and and so it, that that's the thing it, it's that mindset that should drive technology choice not the other way around right right and right. but what we feel certainly that that serverless technology is is the way to achieve that right now. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, again, we're helping, trying to help clients understand that. We're trying to help the industry sort of come to grips with this too. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and there's a lot of folks out there doing a lot of great work. Um, you know, the folks at uh, A Cloud Guru who, who uh, put together the, the serverless conferences. Yeah. Um, you know, serverless framework folks. There's, there's just a, uh, a ton of folks out there. There's actually a serverless Slack forum that we can link to. Oh, cool! Yeah, uh, as well, where where sort of a lot of this discussion is happening. Nice. But but trying to sort of help you know help the industry and help uh, you know help people out there in general figure out okay how do we use this? Yeah. Um, what are some of the you know what are some of the great use cases? What are the patterns? What are the you know what are the smells? Um, <laughs> you know we did this we did this little report with O'Reilly. That's which we should know. I think it's telling that the title is "What is Serverless." You are literally yeah. introducing a new idea to people here. Yep, and we've you know we've taken our you know sort of uh, we've, we've got our take of, of what we think serverless is and how you can you know identify something as serverless. And that you know that becomes important when you're architecting systems or trying yeah, to you yeah. know decide what are the attributes of these systems I'm going to build. If I've got a serverless thing and a non-serverless thing, what does that mean? Um, but but that's a short report. You know that's yeah. that's only fifty or sixty pages. Um, because this is too new to write the book on. Sure, sure. You know, we would certainly, uh, I think, you know, Mike especially would love to write the book on serverless uh -huh. uh, or to c collaborate in doing that with some of our other, you know, sort of friends out there in the in the community. Yeah. Um, but that's 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 a few years off at least. Uh, oh, yeah. We just haven't been doing this long enough as, a, as an industry. So. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, there, it's really cool to see all the experimentation and the... Uh, uh, experiments that that people are doing whether it's with mm -hmm. services or frameworks or applications um uh so i might ask uh for you and or mike do you have uh any sense do you have your predictions about where uh serverless as a as an idea as a paradigm is going yeah so i'm gonna actually completely cop out here and say that all <laughs> of that is in the last chapter of the book excellent um 
and so yes, yeah, so you, you you can check that out. And again, I, a lot of those predictions are just around, um, you know, there are there are things in the sort of serverless world that are sort of inherent properties, mm-hmm. right? And there are things. When I say things, I mean I mean uh, you know things that we don't like that we wish would be would get better, right? Yeah. Um, so sort you know some inherent you know inherent uh, issues or inherent challenges in serverless. Um, you know, when you're building these these applications to sit on somebody else's platform in this sort of distributed way that are yeah. you you know where think resources are being are being allocated and 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 dealt with on an on demand basis, mm-hmm. uh, you know latency latency for example yes an inherent that's an inherent challenge yeah that, that will never that will never go away and right? with any distributed system that becomes an issue and someone said you know as soon as you put a function on the other side of a network you've now got latency to worry about. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, exactly. And this, you know, this is something we've been dealing with in these systems for a long time. Um, but so we know that challenge isn't going away. Right. But yeah. you know, things like, um, like you mentioned earlier, sort of the the rapid iteration uh, development style. Mm-hmm. That's a tooling problem, yeah. right? Yeah. And so that's a that's a case where you know the vendors will will continue to to iterate and improve on the tools they provide yeah. and you know the community will, will will have a say in that as well and so those those are things that we think are going to get better you know over time so those are just sort of those are what we, I think we call uh, implementation sort of challenges right right um, but yeah for the rest of the sort of uh, the sort of serverless predictions uh, I would recommend uh, the last chapter of the book and then actually Mike did an article on the uh, infoq website uh, a couple of months ago that was okay. also sort of titled the future of serverless or something, uh, which we can link to as well. Yeah. We'll, we'll definitely put that in the show notes. Well, cool. Uh, so, uh, you heard it here, folks, go read the book. Um, <laughs> I have looked over it. It's, it's good. It's a nice, uh, it's a good high level overview and it, it covers a lot mm-hmm. of these questions that we've been talking about here. Cool. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed that, and I'll I'll sign copies for anyone who'd like to print out the PDF and uh, and find. <laughs> I was going to say you can you can come <laughs> sign my monitor the next time we see each other. Um, uh, so we're getting uh, close to the uh, end of our scheduled time here. I think was there anything else that you wanted to uh, talk about or tell us about? Um, I don't think there's a ton else. I. I was going to just sort of mention our sort of upcoming schedule um, of speaking. Um, You know, so we're actually, um, I'm speaking in a couple of weeks at QCon here in New York city. Yes. uh, Giving a talk titled fearless AWS lambdas. Cool. And so that's going to be focused on how to, how to build, uh, you know, sort of AWS lambda applications using Java. Okay. Uh, There's sort of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there are a lot, a lot of misconceptions and kind of thud out there about Java not being, or the JVM not being a great uh, sort of run runtime choice for Lambda. So I hope to dispel some of those myths and provide some some examples and best practices. Okay, good. Um, and then uh, Friday of that uh, week of QCon, we're mm-hmm. we're actually giving a um, a full day workshop. So we're going to just basically expand on the workshop we did at OSCON and take you through, uh, you know, architecting, building you know, and operating a, a scalable serverless application on AWS. Oh, nice. So that'll be really interesting. Yeah. Um, and then after that, we'll be at, uh, we'll be at UberConf in Denver um, in the middle of July, uh, okay. giving some similar talks. And then Mike is actually also going to be giving a uh, sort of a 
a version of his talk on continuous experimentation. So this idea that, you know, we, what we really want to do is, is learn what works and what doesn't for our businesses as quickly as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, how serverless and this sort of concept of modern agile, the modern agile framework, mm-hmm. uh, can, can work together to, to, to let you do that. Um, yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of what we're up to over the next uh, couple of months. Um, and then the other thing I just wanted to mention briefly for the readership uh, here in New York is that um, I'm really uh, happy to say that Closure NYC is now being run by Andy Parsons and yes. the team from Workframe. Yeah, and, and they're they doing are, a they're, great job. They're nice, nice people. They're killing it. Yeah, they're doing a great job, and they've got lots of. Uh, they've got a. Uh, and it's uh, scheduled uh, for at least the next couple of months, and a good plan. Uh, and they're taking lots of feedback from the the community. So if you've uh, if you haven't been to a closure NYC meetup in a little while, uh, I'd encourage you to 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 check it out again. Yeah, those are fun. Uh, I've been to a bunch of the closure NYC meetups, and uh, it's a it's a good group of people. They have interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now you have also, you and Mike have also participated in the serverless meetup in New York. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so um, we we get that together. Uh, we work with uh, uh, Evan from uh, Ethics Labs and uh, a couple of couple other folks. And yeah, that meets uh, a little more sporadically. Uh, right. But when we have a good talk or we have a good, uh, you know, something interesting uh, to bring people together uh, to chat about, we will post that on Meetup as well. So that's another one to check out if you're uh, if you're here in New York. Cool. Well, I will uh, see you at uh, one or more of those events. I will probably <laughs> see you at QCon. I hope. Um, yeah. And maybe some of the meetups that happen uh, in the next couple of months. Our final question, which we put to all of our guests and which hopefully you knew was coming, is uh, to ask for a piece of advice for our listeners. Yeah, so I've been carefully considering that uh, (laughs) as we've been talking about other things. And it really, I I think that there's kind of a theme in what we've talked about, which is think think carefully about about how you're delivering value. Mm -hmm. And this is, is, you know, this is sort of the with a, with a, a business focus, you know, so you're yeah. working somewhere and, and think carefully about how you're delivering value and don't, um, don't let the sort of, your sort of engineering ego drive how you, how you work. Right. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful and it makes us, you know, again, as engineers feel, feel really, uh, you know, feel really smart to, to build and, and operate these really complex systems um, but that, you know, those may not be the best choices, uh, for, for helping our businesses succeed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always, uh, it's amazing how hard it is to internalize that idea, but it's definitely important. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, and, and then of course the, uh, the, the, the kind of standard, uh, you know, be, be excellent to, to one another. Yes. Uh, as, uh as Bill Ted would say. So <laughs> please do. And this has been an excellent talk. Uh, so thank you, John, uh, for mm-hmm. joining us and talking about uh, serverless and everything else. Yeah, my pleasure. It was, uh, it was great to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, as always, our pleasure. And thank you to everyone out there for listening. This has been the Cognicast.
You have been listening to the CogniCast. The CogniCast is brought to you by Cognitech. We are a team of thoughtful, experienced technologists. Our passion is helping organizations from the smallest startups to the Fortune 50 deploy technology effectively and humanely. We are here to help you build better futures. You can find us on the web at Cognitech.com and on Twitter at at Cognitech. You can subscribe to the Cognicast, listen to past episodes, and view cover art, show notes, and episode transcripts at our home on the web, Cognitech.com slash Cognicast. You can contact the show by tweeting at Cognicast or emailing us at podcast at Cognitech.com. Our guest this week was John Chapin. Unsurprisingly, you can find John on Twitter at at John Chapin. That's at sign J-O-H-N-C-H-A-P-I-N. Our host this week was Stuart Sierra. Stuart is at Stuart Sierra on Twitter. That's at S-T-U-A-R-T-S-I-E-R-R-A. Episode cover art is by Michael Parento. Audio production is by Russ Olson, Joe Smith, and Jarrett Binford. The Cognicast is produced by Kim Foster. Our theme music is Thumbs Up for Rock and Roll by Kill the Noise with Feed Me. I'm Russ Olson. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 